0: So my sermon title today, Keys to Survival, Keys to Revival. I think I just heard the content of my message in the song. Our God is a great big God and he holds us in his hands. Perhaps that's it folks, no (laughs) more needs to be said. There's a saying The only thing constant in life is change. Well, it's both true and a not true saying. Yes, some things do change. Governments change. Buildings, cars, planes and phones certainly change. Fashions change. Long, short, tight, baggy, formal, casual. Haircuts change. Long, shaved, man buns. Frizzy, straight. Have you noticed we get older? I like this little quote, the secret to getting older is to stay young while you're doing it. I'm trying to do that. (laughs) Our kids grow up so quickly, so quickly it's unbelievable. But some things don't change. But we're going to look at three of these unchanging truths that I believe are in fact the keys to survival and the keys to revival. You could say they're foundation stones that we need to build our house upon. First key, one, God. James 1.17, God does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. God is and will always be Good, gracious, glorious, loving, loyal, likeable, caring, charismatic, considerate, truthful, trustworthy, triumphant, faithful, friendly, and full of grace and truth. Key number two, God's word. Proverbs 35, every word of God is flawless. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. I like The message translation, sky and earth will wear out, but my words will never wear out. You've heard this one, no doubt. Methods change often, but the message never does. Methods may change, but the message stays the same. Here's a question to ask. What is the message? Well, it's God's word. I love Eugene Peterson's title of his translation, the message. I think, this is what it is. It's it's the message. Back of the Bible. Some people criticise his contemporary translation, but Peterson's work has been thoroughly reviewed by a team of recognised Old and New Testament scholars who ensure that it is accurate as well as faithful to the original language. I love that translation. So that's one question. What is the message? It's God's word. Another question to ask is what is the message in the message? What's the message in the message? The answer is amazing. It's going to be the subject of my next sermon. Key number three we've seen God, God's Word. Key number three is God's Spirit. We're told in John 6 and 2 Corinthians 3 the Spirit gives life. I think those few words, the Spirit gives life. Speak of survival and revival. Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty, but, underline the but, the spirit of God was hovering over the water. Message translation. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. But God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. When God spoke the word, the spirit made all things live. So I believe the three essential keys to survival and revival are God, his word and his spirit. And if you like, you can stay there, the rock or the foundation stones that we build our house upon. So I want to look at them in more detail now. Firstly, God. Without God, without hope. I think to state the obvious. In the Old Testament, Abraham, the father of faith in God. Now, I just want to correct something Bill said last night, last Sunday. He said, David Smythe is the founding father of the church. So, Judy Potter came up to me afterwards and said, Do we now have to call you Father David? <laughs> no way. My name is David. I'm not even Pastor David, I'm David. But I am a pastor. So, Abraham, the father of faith in God, the Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. So Abraham's faithfulness entirely depended on God. Abraham's responsibility, simply be faithful. Isaac comes along and the Philistine leaders came to him and said, we want to make a peace treaty with you. And he said, why have you come to me, you guys? And they said, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. They realised you don't want to be fighting against God. Moses, he got it right. When God asked Moses to lead Israel into the promised land, Moses said to God, God, I don't want to go unless you go with us. God, I'm not, I'm not going to go unless you go with us. And God replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Isn't that fantastic? When God's with us, we can rest. Jesus said the same sort of stuff, didn't he? Come to me if you're stressed out of your brain and I'll give you rest. When God's with us. We don't have to stress So Moses said, come with me. God replied, my presence will go with you. Moses knew that it was only God's presence and favour that would enable Israel to enjoy prosperity and peace in the promised land. Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? So the question, how do we get God to be with us? Like Moses, ask for his presence, ask him to be with us. We can learn from Azar, ever heard of Azar, king of Judah? He was king of Judah for 40 years. We're gonna look at these scriptures that speak about him in 2 Chronicles 15, firstly, verses one, two, and four. The question is, how do we get God to be with us? The spirit of God came upon Azariah, a prophet, son of Oded. He went out to meet Azar, who was the king, and said to him, listen to me, Azar, And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you're with him. Ah, interesting. He's with us if we're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse 2, verse 4. That'll do. This is what we need to do after we seek him and say, God, I want to be with you. In their distress, they turn to the Lord, the God of Israel and sought him, and he was found by them." Verse eight, I think. Now, we come to God, but we do have a responsibility. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land, so Israel had turned away from God. They had started worship false gods, so aren't any gods at all. Remove the idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns that you've captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. I think this speaks to us of cleaning up our act. We want God to be with us. We seek him, but we may need to clean up our act. We now go to verse 12 and 15. When they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, their God, the God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. There's a key. We need to seek him with all our heart and soul. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. There's another key to revival and survival. Seek God with all of our heart and soul, wholeheartedly seek him. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest from every side. That'll do, I think, David. In Jesus' words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So with the mention of Jesus, let's move from Old Testament to New Testament. God comes to us in the person of Jesus. In fact, I see the Old Testament really as as a map, a street street directory, a GPS that all lead us to Jesus the Saviour of the world. He came and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the book of Acts, Luke confirms this fact. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which, listen to this, we must be saved. We must, we must. There's no one else. After his death and resurrection, Jesus said, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He also said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So listening to those words, I think the position is very clear. Survival and revival are dependent on Jesus being with us and us with him. So as Moses and Asa Submit it to God and ask him to be with them. So we need to submit and ask Jesus to be with us. Jesus said, here I am, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. So church, let's open the door wide, invite Jesus in and hear what he might have to say. Our job as a church is to lift Jesus higher. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And so we sing, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. I, I want to humbly say that I, I actually know the key to revival. I, I actually know it. And I say it humbly. It's found in these simple few words Mark 3:20 then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered That's it not hard we make it so hard Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered if Jesus is in the church a crowd will gather Jesus is to be the focus of our attention not ourselves We need to remember it's not our church, it's Jesus' church. And you hear me say often, there's no place in the church for pride. I'm talking about show-off pride. In real estate, it's location, location, location. In Christianity, it's humility, humility, humility. But what a privilege to be in his church and to serve in it. I want you to come to Psalm 100. I think this articulates the priority of things and our joy as we understand and commit to how things are. Shout for joy to who? The Lord. All the earth. Worship who? The Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture hope you don't mind the emphasis I'm putting there. It sounds a bit corny as I hear it myself. Enter, enter, I'll oh, stop it. Enter, no I can't. His, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It's about him, not us. It's about him, not us. Key number two, God's word. Question, how do we understand we are connecting with the real God and know what he wants to say to us? What is his message to us? What's God's message to us? How do we know what it is? Answer, read about him and the message in his book, the Bible. I often say the Bible is in fact God in print. We can get to know God and Jesus through his word, the Bible. See, if you read a book about a person, you get to know him. I've read 16 of Bill Hybell's books. And so, and, and, it, and he's very self-disclosing in his books. You learn all about him, little secret things and big things about his marriage relationship. And, you know, he's, oh. And so when I meet him in Bill Vassilakis' office, you know, and David, uh, this is Bill, and Bill... I thought I was meeting an old friend. I knew him. He didn't know I knew him like he did. He didn't know me. But I just thought, oh, Bill, I know all about you. You're like an old friend. Well, God reveals himself and touches and teaches us through his word. We need to get to know God through hearing the word of God. We're told that faith comes through hearing God's word. Of course, It's through the Bible that we meet Jesus and hear his words of life. Now, here's a few things about Jesus and his words. When Jesus had finished saying these things, we read in Matthew 7, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Jesus' teaching, his words are amazing. On one occasion, some people were finding Jesus' words a bit confronting and stopped following him. You know this story. Jesus said to his disciples, Okay, you guys, you want to leave too? And Peter answered. He got it right this time. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus' words make an eternal difference to our lives. Now, here's an amazing truth, one you know, no doubt. We have said that God's word, the Bible, leads us to a knowledge of God and his message to us. God's word is his message to us. Well, in Jesus, we're told, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I've said earlier that I reckon this is God in print. Well, in Jesus, the word became a person, Jesus was God's message in person. Jesus is God's message to us in person. The word of God became a man. Now both are true, the written word and the living word. Jesus is the message of God in the human flesh. Key number two, we need to be a word-based, truth-based, word-proclaiming, truth-proclaiming local church. This book and Jesus alone have the words of eternal life. What a message we have. I want to pause for a moment here and just consider our great responsibility to rightly divide, correctly understand, correctly share the word of truth. Remember we quoted earlier in Proverbs, every word of God is flawless. The next verse says, do not add to this word. 2 Timothy 1. 13, keep the pattern of sound teaching, faith and love. Hebrews thirteen nine. Do not be carried away by strange teachings. Boy, there's some out there, I can tell you. And people get carried away by them. Galatians 1. Paul says, don't learn and turn to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. 2 Timothy two fifteen. We have it on the screen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, why all this fuss about correctly handling the word of truth? Because if we don't correctly handle it and we sprout it off, it's no longer true. It becomes a lie. This isn't good because you know what? The truth sets us free where a lie will do the opposite. It'll imprison us in error. So we need to heed Paul's advice to the Thessalonians, test everything and hold on to the good. Have you heard this quote? We need, we always need to be, open. no, it's not a quote, that's coming in a minute. This is just a sentence. We always need to op- be open to adjust our course as we see truth with more clarity. Jerry Cook in his book, the title tells it all, things I've learned since I knew it all. We can always learn new stuff and we have to sometimes correct the old stuff that we thought was right. He says, our Christian faith is always a matter of both learning and unlearning, of gaining new insights while, while filtering out wrong or distorted ideas about God, ourselves and others. We should in no way, this should in no way cause cynicism or shake our faith. The Christian faith is dynamic. Our faith must grow out of relationship with God. Here's the quote. God looks to the heart, but it's also good to have your head screwed on the right way. True? So as individuals in the local church, let's do all we can to know the truth, speak the truth, keep the truth, that sets people free and imparts eternal life. Key number three, be sealed with the Holy Spirit or be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be a church filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be individuals filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.6 describes him as the spirit of life. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Freedom from sin and guilt, work and worry, striving and scheming, pushing and shoving, free to live, laugh and love free to look forward to a great blessing ahead. And it's all in the love, grace and goodness of God and made real to us by the seal of the Spirit. See, the name of God isn't enough, just Bible isn't, God, 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 God. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. You all feeling edified? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, brings God and God's Word to life. The Holy Spirit brings life and liberty. The Holy Spirit, I think, is like the spark that ignites the gas in the stove or the barbecue or the electricity that causes the lights to fire up. Without the electricity in there, darkness. Without that spark, the barbecue's not going to cook the sausages, I can tell you. I have a combustion fire at home and uh, so, you know, my job is to clean up the fire after the night before and then set it for a relight. Narina, she makes the bed and she worked out that she's made our bed 16,000 times in the last 45 years that we've been married and she's never grizzled once. She asked me to help her, I grizzle. This isn't my calling. I can't do this. (laughs) I know that's terrible. (laughs) I had the fire all set to go. The wood was there. The, The pine cones were in there. The kindling wood was in there. And even the fire lighters were in there. And I shut the door and just sat in front of it. thought, no flame, no light, no warmth, just sitting there. Thinking, this and, and, and I thought if I touch the fire lighters with the flame away she goes the fire's there it, it's light it's a, it, I, th- I think fire is a miracle I can just watch it and, and rejoice in God just watching the flames and then the warmth comes and my thought was that's the difference the Holy Spirit makes to our relationship to God and his word it becomes real and life giving God wants us to be born, of he he wants to bring his match along and and light the fire. He wants us to be born of his spirit and that's so wonderful. He becomes our father and we become his kids. He wants us to be empowered by the spirit, gifted by the spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be our counsellor, teacher, guide, convictor of sin, encourager in righteousness. We're coming back to the start of the sermon when we said the spirit gives life. May we mean it when we sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. An understanding I so appreciate and believe is an, essential to the key, is an essential key to the blessing of God. And that is, you can be a spirit-filled person, you can be a spirit-filled church and still be a sensible person in a sensible church. There's a little saying, there's no business like show business but I add to it but the church has no business in show business. No place for show-offs. No place for stupidity. Wayne Jackson, Jacobson in his church, in his book the naked church says many will be many may be well intentioned but haven't learned the difference between an emotional frenzy and the holy spirit. That's what Wayne Jacobson says. Listen to what the Bible says. Paul says it. For God is not the God of disorder but of peace. He's not a God of disorder. Listen to this one. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything. Now, I have submitted to the fact that it's God's order and decency, not mine. So I have to adjust you know, my position at times. And Paul goes on to say, but let's not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. So may his presence called people to say the words written in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. God is really among you. Mm. Now I'm going to wrap up this message and we go to John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the the gardener i am the vine you are the branches if a man remains in me and i in him he will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing so god the father is the gardener he he is the creator of the whole thing he 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 planted the thing in the beginning we read that from genesis 1 God is the father, the author, the creator of the whole thing. He's the gardener, Jesus said. Jesus is the vine where the branches. Now, without attachment to the vine, the branch dies because it needs to be fed with sap. Now, it's true in the vineyard and it's true in the church. As Christians, we need to stay attached to Jesus divine so the sap will flow into our lives. How do we stay attached? By praying and obeying, reading and heeding, believing and receiving, loving and living. Do you know who the sap is? The Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not calling him a sap in a derogatory sense. Sap is actually defined as vital body fluid that supplies energy and vigor. Now, I've actually checked this out with the Holy Spirit and he's okay with me calling him a sap. He supplies life, energy, vigor to Jesus' branches. You know what a branch becomes without the sap? A stick. Just a stick. You know what the church becomes without the holy sap? Just a whole bunch of sticks, a congregation of sticks. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to represent God and be more than that. Don't you want our church to be more than that? With the Holy Spirit in our lives flowing to us from the vine Jesus, we blossom, we bear fruit. So here's the deal. If we disconnect from Jesus divine and the flow or the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the life of the local church, Individually, we become a stick together as a congregation, just a pile of sticks. However, when we stay connected to Jesus the vine and the Holy Spirit flows through the vine into our lives and the life of the local church, we can bud, blossom and bear much fruit. We can be a tree that blossoms and bears fruit in Jesus' name. The question, which one do we want to be? Sticks or branches that bear fruit. Now, I didn't realise this when I prepared this message, what I was actually saying are the keys to survival and revival. Have you noticed? The three keys to survival, the three keys to revival. God, his word, who became a human being, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So the key to revival, have God the Father, God the Son, the Word, and the Holy Spirit with us. To illustrate the sermon and clear up the confusion that I've caused, we're gonna watch a, a video now. So uh, Dan, if you would dim the lights, and Dave, if you'd press the right button. It's a video clip from the Kesis, that's how I say it, which means theological sketch. By Steve Thomason, who is uh, a man in the Lutheran Seminary—not cemetery, cemetery, Lumen Seminary—somewhere in the states. Speak to us now, God. I pray.
1: Today we're going to be looking at the vine. This is an image, a central image, that Jesus uses in John 15. I really think it's the heart of the whole Gospel. And so, um, the first thing I want to do is uh, I'm going to draw a picture of a hand. This picture represents God the Father. Because really the vine is all about the Father. Because Jesus said the Father is the vine dresser. And so we're going to put inside of the Father's fingers a seed. And the Father plants this seed, which is the Kingdom of God, into the soil. And then the sun comes out and and the rain gives the energy and this vine grows. And then the father sets guide wires up. You know, the father is working all along the way to help this vine grow. Eventually the vine grows and the sun comes and the rain comes and blossoms come and the fruit is born on the vine. Sometimes the father has to prune and take off some branches. But here we have this picture of growth and vitality. And what we really have going on here in John 15 is this picture of the Trinity. We have the Father, and we have the Son, Jesus, who is the vine, which is really this picture of Israel. It's carryover from the Old Testament. But then we have the Spirit everywhere. The Spirit is the sun, the Spirit is the rain. As the rain falls down onto the vine, giving life and water and baptism, if you will, the Spirit soaks down into the roots, and the Spirit then becomes the actual sap that grows up through the vine and out through the branches and to the clusters of fruit. And really what this is about is how disciples make fruit of the Spirit. And the the sap comes out into the fruit and it's really God's love. That's the purpose of the whole vine. It's really about making wine, the wine of God's love. Because what God the Father wants to do is He wants the whole world to know about God's love. And so we see we have the world over here that is looking at the vine. And the overflow of the vine is God's love making the world happy with the love of God. That is the whole purpose and that's the beauty of this. And so this is the overflow. Of the vine into the world and that's the point of discipleship. So let's look at this thing about being a disciple. What? How do we do this? How do we be in the vine? A lot of times we think that it's our job to produce the fruit of the Spirit, but that's not it at all. Our job is to focus on being connected to the Son, to the vine. Our relationship with Jesus is what it's all about because all of throughout John 15 Jesus says, Uh, two key words he says remain in me and I will remain in you abide in me and I will abide in you and all throughout John 15 uh, John 13 through 17 we have this indwelling of God what the Greek word is the perichoresis we have the Father indwelling the Son we have the Father and the Spirit indwelling one another and the Spirit indwelling the Son and the Spirit which is flowing through all of it, and the Son indwelling and abiding in the disciples, which is the overflow of God's love, as we indwell the world, and the Spirit indwells the world, and it's all flowing together. It's interconnected. It's what we call perichoretic power. It is the power of God's love in communion with the world.
0: I hadn't heard that word perichoretic or perichoresis. As he explained, as Steve explained, it's actually the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then their relationship with the people of the world, his church. And as Steve says in the theological sketch, it's where the power comes from. I was up the park the other day, as I have the habit of doing, and I was thinking about the Trinity and the mystery of the Trinity. And I kind of said, God, it's a bit confusing at times knowing who to talk and walk with you, Father, or Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. And the answer came back was, why not talk and walk with all three of us? I love the answer. So the four of us walked on up the track together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and David Smythe. What a privilege. A perichoretic relationship. Now, you may have noticed in the video, there's a motive in all of this. I asked the question earlier, I said, what's the message in the message? We've heard it and I'm looking forward to preaching on it next. It's God's love for his world. That's the message. It's God's love for his world. To conclude today, invite the muses down. We've been talking about the keys to survival and revival. I just want to say, it's not enough just to have a key. We can run around with keys, but they're not going to do us any good unless we put them in the lock, turn them and open the door. We need to put the keys we've looked at today into the lock, turn them to open the door to God's blessing. Make them our own as individuals in the church. So as we love God with all our heart, mind and strength, as we obey him and walk in his ways, as we lift Jesus higher for the world to see, as we love, learn and live by God's word, always doing our best to rightly divide the word of truth, as we are spirit-filled and sensible, living and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, as we open the door wide and say, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. The Church Universal, the local church, the Hills Christian Family Centre will survive and revive. Amen.